Hey, Phil, how's it going? Hey, mate, happy new year. How's it going? Happy new year to you too. Pretty good, pretty good. So listen, I uh, I got an email back in September from this bloke named Ben. Yeah. Uh, and he said, look, the show's great, but I wouldn't mind if you changed the theme song because it makes me sleepy. And I haven't heard from Ben since then, and I'm a bit worried that we've put him to sleep permanently with the theme oh, tune. Oh, no. So, what are your thoughts on changing the, the theme tune? Yeah, I think I have, I think I have uh, a song in mind. Um, how about this one here? No, I don't think we can use that. So, I actually had one uh, in mind. Let me play you this one. Nah, bruh. I don't think that one's going to work. So, how about how about this one? Uh, I've, I've got a really cool one that, that I think might work for us. You know what? I like it. I'm sure there's going to be someone that doesn't like it, though. Yeah, I mean, there's always someone that doesn't like it. So, I don't know. What do you think? I reckon let's do it. Are you ready to start the next episode? Yeah, roll it. Welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number 41, the first episode for 2019. My name is Phil, and joining me, as always, is Rohan. How's it going? Hey, I'm good, thanks. I hope everyone had a, a good break. Did you have a good break, Rohan? Yeah, yeah, it was great. You know, hung around, uh, didn't do anything too, too exciting, so that was not a bad thing. Well, lots of food. Lots of food, lots of, uh, you know, people. Yeah, that was that's about it. How about yourself? Good, good. Santa was was nice to me. I got a, a ring doorbell for Christmas, actually. Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so this episode of the Home Assistant podcast is brought to you by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily connect to Google and Amazon voice assistants for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. Configuration is via their user interface, so no fiddling with router settings or dynamic DNS or YAML. So... Over the break, one of the uh, one of the exciting happenings, let's call it, was a bit of stuff happening in the community around Logitech. So, if you're not familiar, essentially what happened is Logitech. Long story short, they removed uh, a local API from the Harmony Hubs, so they pushed an update to the Harmony Hubs, specifically its version four point fifteen point two zero six, if anyone cares. So that got pushed somewhere around mid December. And basically, the the community obviously was not very happy with with removing a local API. There were some security issues. There were some, I guess, some other some other issues as well that that caused Logitech to remove this. But uh, you know, it, it was done in a way that was probably not handled uh, the best. No, I think they just sort of felt as though you know this API. It's we we haven't told anyone about it. Why are people using it? And the, the security issue was, I think it was a, that it exposed two default accounts, which had the same permissions as an authenticated user. Probably right. not like, uh, that's probably bad on their part for coding it that way. If, unless it is a, a, an actual issue with the whole XMPP 
protocol, which I don't think it should be. So they were just like, it's easier to just shut this whole thing down than, you know, a try and fix it. And yeah, I, I, just, I think they got a bit of backlash from it. Yeah, there was uh, there was quite a bit of backlash. So so essentially, what had happened is, uh, as you mentioned, they they removed the API instead of fixing it, and then and basically on December nineteenth, one of the representatives from Logitech on Twitter actually mentioned, "Hey, you know what? There's really no intention of restoring that local API because it, you weren't supposed to be using it in the first place." The they they mentioned that the cloud API is also closed to new applications. So that the cloud API being What's being used for things like the Amazon Echo, uh, Smart Things, IFTTT, and so on and so forth, right? So, because that's closed, also, so there's really no way around this either. And you know, story picked up. I uh, got picked up by Ars Technica. I got picked up by The Verge, and and I think from that point, it's kind of pseudo blown up. Yeah. And then uh, I know Home Assistant uh, did release a local implement, uh, a new implementation. Sorry, with uh, that uses local WebSockets to communicate with uh, with the Harmony iOS app. Well, sure, that that's a WebSocket that's used by the Harmony Hub to talk to the iOS app. So yeah, so that that they started leveraging that as of zero point eighty four point four, which was actually really good of them because I think. By then, December twenty, what was it, twentieth? Like mm-hmm. we'd already we'd already done our podcast. We were done. Like that's it. We're going on break. You know, Logitech had put out this breaking change for everyone and broke everyone's Home Assistant integration. And then Home Assistant was like, you yeah. know what? We're gonna we're gonna put out a hot fix. I'm really glad that there were people uh, working on this over that break or over that period, and actually had a release out before Logitech had even had an- another option for us. Yeah, so so it's it's interesting because this came out on the twentieth, and on the twenty first, Logitech announced that they'll be coming out with a beta firmware, uh, which will re-enable that XMPP API. But but what's interesting is using beta firmware will actually uh, will actually void your warranty as well, right? So there's that as well. Yeah. So so you do have to be careful by using that that API. So I think this is. Uh, a PR lesson, and I, um, this isn't the first PR lesson Logitech has really had to learn. Remember, uh, I think it was maybe 12 months ago or just over 12 months ago that they had the Harmony Link uh, hub, which was their old hub that had an invalid SSL certificate or an old SSL certificate that wasn't going to be updated. And rather than mm. updating it, they just were like, no, nah, everyone that owns that hub, you're going to have to go out, buy a new one. We're not updating it. It's old technology now. Everyone picked up a stink and they got a lot of bad press from it and they actually had to send out a, a whole bunch of free uh, Harmony hubs, which is what uh, this whole related to. So you would think that they would have learnt like, their publicity lesson from last time. I know it took them a while to you know, get back to people. There was, I think it was like yeah, mid-December and then they didn't get back to anyone on Twitter for a few days. or like, yeah, we'll announce something, we'll announce something. And then it was, yep, we have no intention of restoring local API access. And, you know, when, when you consider it to, uh, we have Philips Hue that were tweeting at the same time, you know, it's always um, better to use a local API than it is to use the cloud. And then you've got uh, like IKEA, which actually reached out to Home Assistant and said, hey, we know you're using our API. It's not documented, but we're making some breaking changes. You should fix it this way. So sort of right. it was a complete opposite way to really treat the community and it sort of i think it rubbed many people the wrong way and i know it sort of feels weird 
that Logitech could come into your home and just issue a, an update and, and stop something that you've been using for years from working and then just sort of tell you it's yeah, a security and, issue, and, right? Like, Yeah, and, and, and the, the problem is it's, you know, what's easier, right? It's to just, just get rid of the API or, or to... Or, or to actually work with people and and get a secure working API, yeah. right? And and I think I think in this case that really those are your two options. And I think I think in this case that Logitech kind of uh, at the at the end of the day they did they did the right thing, but uh, you know the, the the way they got to it wasn't really the best. I think they were sort um, of and, and dragged what, to that conclusion. They didn't want to come there willingly. Yeah, and and it's interesting because the register actually uh, also posted a uh, posted a I guess a little uh, article, uh, and and it's literally labeled a year after Logitech screwed over Harmony users, it um, screws over Harmony users, <laughs> right? And uh, and 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 it's it's interesting because that's pretty much the gist of it, right? Um, and 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 again, I will go out and say that they did. They did uh, succumb to the pressure from from the community, and you know a lot of people were using this, and they said, "Okay, fine, we're gonna we're gonna we'll we'll make some kind of a solution for you guys." Yeah, the the, the community was overly overly uh, annoyed about it uh, for 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 the right reasons, right? And and I think I'm I stand with the community on this one personally. You know, but uh, yeah, so Logitech right now they have committed to doing this but uh I, i'm not sure if they've actually put out instructions on great if you want to be a part of this beta here's what you're going to do yeah so it's a bit tricky you do have to use like i think you have to plug in the hub into the usb on your computer you have to um, have some software installed i th- believe there's a link on the home assistant blog um they were also tracking uh what logitech was doing over this time they've got a link mm-hmm. to the instructions on how to install the beta firmware it's available on Mac and PC, um, so you can do it that way. And I think Logitech said that in January they would have a production release so that you wouldn't have to install the beta if you want to enable this API again. Uh, even if you're not a, a Harmony user, you might be thinking, oh, you know, you guys, you shouldn't be using an undocumented API. You know, it's your own fault. I, I can understand where people are coming from that. But also, you know, we, we talk about people that want don't like uh, Xiaomi hubs on their network. They isolate them because they don't want the Chinese government to spy on them in home. It's sort of the same thing when, you know, Logitech comes in and they just take something away from you. They, they You know, for, for us, it was a feature. You know, having this home assistant yeah. integration was a feature. And for Logitech to come in and say, look, you know, there's a security vulnerability uh, we're going to take that away from you. The only the best way to do it is to go through our cloud provider. History has shown that the cloud is not uh, more secure, especially when it comes to things on your on your local network. Like for this specific vulnerability, I think the only way for someone to be able to get access or root access to the hub was if they were already in your local network. So forcing a mm-hmm. cloud connection that means you know the hub needs to be connected to the cloud, there's more chance that the cloud is going to be hacked, I think, than someone being on the in- being able to get into the internal network and then finding out this Harmony hub is on the network and then getting into there. I mean, it is possible. I know it, it is possible, and therefore you have to address it as a security issue, but I think the chances of it were less. But I think it does also set a, a pretty dangerous precedent for 
other uh, Internet of Things manufacturers out there if Harmony didn't retract uh, or it didn't backstep and, and do what they did? Could you imagine, like, you know, all of a sudden Nest decides to say, you know what, we're going to remove this feature from our product and and base that on, you know, Logitech doing something. And then, you know, once one company does it, everyone follows suit, and then all of a sudden everyone's closing up things and we're all scrambling. So, yeah, yeah I think... I think the reaction from the community was was justified, and it's good that Logic Tech eventually listened. Yeah, and 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 I mean, it's it's I, I again, I still I still think it was handled improperly from the get go, especially especially from Logitech again having the debacle as as the register um, article mentioned it right like last year or about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I guess, where they basically bricked a lot of people's uh, Harmony Hub saying, hey, you got the old version, the certificate expires. We're not going to update it. We're just going to brick it. Uh, and because it's cloud connected, so sad, too bad, yeah. right? And 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 I think and I, I think they did come back after, again, the community blew up going, hey, what the heck? Uh, I, think, I think they did come back with saying, okay, you know, we'll give, uh, either rebates towards new pro- new uh, Harmony hubs, or we'll exchange it for your something like that. I don't remember exactly what came out of it, but the, the community was obviously very annoyed uh, that time as well. So it's kind of it's kind of twice in the span of uh, just over a year that that Logitech has had to you know do something and a backpedal, and then yeah. So I mean, I, I don't I don't know how this rubs people uh, the wrong way or or, or what. When it comes to Logitech, but uh, I could see that being, you know, swaying people's decisions now, right? Exactly. Right. It's it sort of they've. It reminds me of when Philips Hue uh, put a op- update out to their Hue hubs years ago now, where they stopped you being able to uh, link third-party light bulbs to your Philips Hue hub because of you know once again security yeah. concerns and all that. Even though you know Zigbee is supposed to be, you know, they were using a Zigbee uh, light link protocol, which is supposed to be, you know, open to anyone that's certified with that light link, you can, you can link it. So uh, there was a bit of a backlash there. And, yeah. and now Philips, you are, you know, they haven't done it recently, but it's still there in people's minds, right? Like, oh, they've done it before. They could possibly do it again. Yeah, no, exactly. So, I mean, hopefully, hopefully that's not the case. Um, I know a lot of people are already invested in that Logitech ecosystem. You know, hopefully they they continue to do the right thing without doing the wrong <laughs> yeah. thing first, uh, and then having Twitter blow up and uh, you know yell at them. And, and I think their forums were going pretty crazy too. And uh, so, um, but I do I do want to you know give a shout out to Sean Kelly, Brent, and uh, Tristan on Twitter uh, who did inform us of this. And uh, thank you for that. And and. You know, we've we've been kind of following that pretty closely as well um, yep. since that yeah. point. Well, hopefully, I think after the the official release of that update uh, of, the, of the new firmware now in this year, uh, we will hopefully uh, not have any more issues from Logitech. Yeah, hope so. Let's, uh, let's see, I guess. Time will tell. The Home Assistant Data Science Portal was released. So on December 27th, just after Christmas... Uh, Home Assistant released their new data science portal, and the portal is available at data.home-assistant.io. It holds all the documentation um, for basically all the information 
that Home Assistant collects mm-hmm. about your smart home. Uh, along with the release of Portal, uh, Robin Cole has made a House Data Detective Python package. And so I thought, you know, I could talk about this uh, with you, Rohan, or by myself, or I'll just invite Robin on. How's it going? Yeah, I'm good. How are you doing? Good, thank you. So, Rob, you created the Python library that's being used by the new data studio, I guess you could call it, for Home Assistant. Can you tell us, like, well, what's it all used for? So, well, this is a project I started maybe about six months ago, and I do a lot of data analysis in my job, and I was really curious to start having a look at the data inside the Home Assistant database. And we've had, for a long time, a few examples on the on the docs, how to get started using Jupyter Notebooks to access uh, the Home Assistant database. So I started playing around with those, and then did have a bit of progress with that, but realized there's quite a lot of hassle when you actually want to look at the data that you've got in your database, because you have to sort of pass the data into the right format uh, before you can start doing any analytics. So I started writing a Python library to do that called the Hass Data Detective. And that's really picked up steam in the last couple of months. And we've now released that alongside Hasio add-on. And this add-on allows you to have a Jupyter, Hub, a Jupyter Lab instance running on the same Raspberry Pi as your home assistant. And then when you're using the data detective library, you can easily find your database, query it, and get all the, the data out uh, into a format that you can plot using pandas. So that's really how that library has evolved. All right. So uh, your library will then communicate with Home Assistant and push that data into JupyterLab. Kind of. I mean, so the way it works is it will literally, if you're on that on the Hasio add-on, it will look for your config and then find the URL and the credentials to access your database. And the whole point of the of the Python library really is to get your data into a pandas data frame, which is the basic structure that data scientists work with. Um, it's kind of like a table, like an Excel, but uh, you know it makes it really easy to do statistical analysis on the data, or to do plots, or even to share the data if you want to. Okay, nice. So once someone has that data, what what, what would you imagine someone would use that for? What what did you use it? For? What, what did you uh, think you were going to use it for? So my original use case, actually, I was interested interested in the Bayesian sensor in yeah, Home yeah. Assistant. And this is a sensor where you give it a few inputs and it basically calculates probabilities to say whether something should be in a particular state. So, for instance, you might have a sensor that you wanted to be on when you were cooking. And, you know, the traditional way would be to have a couple of inputs and some rules. You know, if the, there's motion in the kitchen and the hob is on um, and the lights are on, then I'm probably cooking. And, you know, you literally have these binary rules, but a Bayesian sensor works slightly differently. You give it probabilities that if the lights are on, that you are cooking. But it's actually a bit of a confusing um, sensor to use because you have to, first of all, know the probabilities when you're not doing mm. something and then also the probabilities when you are doing something. So the original use case for uh, looking at the data in the home system database, you know, you need to ask, well, at any random time, what's the probability that I'm cooking? Or And then, you know, actually calculate those statistics. So that was my use case for the library in the first place. And then I started having a bit of fun with it as well. I, I used to have um, lots of motion sensors around the house. So one of the first things I was querying was how much can I tell from the motion sensors, you know, what I'm up to? And I, I had a little plot and it showed the amount of motion 
per time of the day, per day of the week. And it's quite nice that the plot showed that I was really active in the house on Saturday mornings, which is the time when my wife, when, when my wife makes me do some, uh, some chores. So that was quite nice to see as well. So there was a sort of a real practical use case and then also just curiosity just to see what could I learn about myself from my own Wow, data. that's really cool because a lot of people use, uh, like I'm using uh, InfluxDB with Grafana to sort of see some trends, you know, over a long period of time. So would this be similar, a use case? Would you be able to get like similar data? Yeah, I mean, that, that's like sort of one thing you can do, visualization of your data. And you've got, you know, great tools like Grafana, which allow you to make some really, uh, some really neat plots. But, you know, I've not used them much myself, being more of a sort of analyst. But if you want to start doing something more complex, maybe like combining two or three different inputs to make a new sensor or, you know, start to do some more involved visualization, that's when the data detective and all the tools that you can use with pandas would really help you out. So that's actually one of the things I'm really excited or looking forward to seeing is what kind of new visualizations people come up to because they've got the power of pandas and all the other plotting libraries there. Right. So can you explain what, is it pandas, what, what, what they are for someone that may never have heard of them before? Yeah. So, well, pandas is a Python library and it's the sort of the library data scientists use when working with tabular data. Um so it's got a bunch of convenience functions. You can, you know, query. I mean, if you've got a table of data, you can say, give me the statistics on this sensor. You know, that, that sensor is one column in your table. And then you can plot that. And you could then say, well, how does that correlate with other sensors in my table? And you might identify that two sensors are very strongly correlated. And that might tell you something about something that's going on in your home, for instance. Ah, right. So it sort of allows you to you know, see, you know, trends over time and, and, and put that into sort of a, a human readable way, basically. Yeah, I mean, so it allows you to ask questions about your data, you know. And if you think about what is a data scientist, if I plot some sensor data and I make a judgment about what's going on based on what I see, that I think that makes me a data scientist. <laughs> and obviously Grafana lets you do that, but when you really want to sort of start delving deep into the data, I think actually getting closer to the data using something like Pandas is going to give you a lot more flexibility. So with your Python library now and the uh, Hassoyo add-on that was added uh, in late December 2018, is there the ability for, I think JupyterLab has like machine learning as well. Have you used JupyterLab with Home Assistant yet? Pandas is part of an ecosystem of data science libraries. So you've got Pandas, you've got Scikit-Learn, for instance, and that's another Python library which allows you to do different kind of modeling. So like typically it's a classification modeling or a regression where you're trying to predict some value on a line. Um, so within the Python ecosystem, once, once you've got your data into a Pandas data frame, it's available to do analysis of any kind of Python library that you want. So that was really my goal in creating the library is to get that data into a format where anybody can start doing their own ana analytics with it. Uh, one use case might be if you want to come up with a, a machine learning model, which takes a few different inputs and then may maybe makes a prediction about what's going on. So abstract things like, um, is it uh, a quiet time at home? You know, I often hear on the forums, people say things like, I want a sensor which tells me when uh, the baby is asleep so that uh, the front doorbell rings on a more muted tone. 
Uh, one of the things you might struggle to do traditionally is to create a sensor that would do that, but you may be able to create a machine learning model which should actually do that for you. Ah, okay. That's very neat. If I've got the data in uh, Home Assistant and I, will it automatically import like uh, anything that's in my database existingly into, will your package handle like history of my data that's already in my database or only start pushing data that's come in right now? So the way the library works is it just makes a SQL query against your database. And um, there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can either say, give me all the data in my database as a pandas data frame, which is, you know, the most convenient thing if your database isn't too big. Obviously, you've got like gigabytes and gigabytes in your in your database that you're probably going to run out of memory. Yep. So in that case, you need to refine the data that you look at. And so the data detective, you can pass it a list of, say, numerical sensors that you care about, and it will return just those um, as, a, as a pandas data frame. And everything's in the right format to immediately start doing plots or analysis. Um, some people, I think, are probably running database servers and they might have huge amounts of data. So obviously, they would probably need to explore that data a bit more carefully to decide what was worth looking at. But the detective should make all that really straightforward. Wow, that's awesome. So if someone doesn't have uh, Hass.io, is it possible to install your data detective just by itself? Absolutely. I mean, the data detective is a Python library. So as long as you're confident um, working with Python, We've got you know some basic instructions to get you started, and you can you know create your own Python environment, import, install uh, Data Detective, give it the URL or basically the path to your database, and it should it should work exactly the same as if you were running the Hasio add-on. Yeah, so we've got numerical data in there as well. Uh, we've also got binary sensor data. Um, in the future, hopefully, we can bring in categorical data as well. So this would be sensors that store like string or you know, text information. So we've got, we've got some ambitions with this library and uh, we're really keen. Yeah, so obviously you're going to be working on it for quite some time. We're still adding, uh, as feature requests come through, you're going to be tinkering with it and adding new features. Yeah, I mean, what I love about the Home Assistant community is they're so creative. So part of this was to say, well, let's make this easy for people. Let's put this tool out there and see what kind of things people want to do with it and that will help us, you know, develop the package in the future. Um, so I'm really excited to see what people will do with this, basically. Yeah. And JupyterLab is the user interface that people can use to then uh, use all this data that the your Python library is pushing out or sucking out of Home Assistant. Right. Yeah. JupyterLab, um, it's, a, it's kind of a big project, but basically you have a little mini server running and you have these notebook files. So if you're familiar with the traditional way of programming uh, maybe you're familiar with sitting at a terminal and sort of typing commands uh, jupyter lab takes a slightly different take on that you actually enter commands inside a document which is kind of a living document and you can have instructions written in markdown in there you can have graphs printed out you can export the notebook as a pdf if you want to and share that with people um, it's kind of an interactive environment that you really need to experience to appreciate what it's all about. And this is all processing locally, isn't it? There's no requirement for everything, anything to go to the cloud. Yeah, that's, it's all done locally, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, you should be. You can run this on a Raspberry Pi, and that in itself, I think, is you know, quite a, a nice achievement. I mean. Yeah, that is. Yeah, awesome. I know a lot of people. You see, like all this, you talk about machine learning and 
artificial intelligence and having to use the cloud for all that. But it's good to see that, you know, keeping all that data locally, especially if there's home assistant grabs so much data from all these sensors and all that, keeping it all locally as opposed to having to push it all up to the cloud to get it analyzed by some supercomputer. Yeah. Is, I mean, yeah, that's sort of fantastic. Of, you know, sort of chat around machine learning and AI, but really, you know, you can get your hands on the tools and get started. You don't need a supercomputer. So I think that's really exciting that the, the Hasio add-on shows that that's possible. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm really excited to see what other feature requests you get and how people are going to use this. I'm sure uh, people, once they've got their heads around it, I'm sure, I'm, I know I'm still struggling on how I'm going to get it to work. But yeah, once people start using it and, and finding out, you know, the interesting stories that their the house data can tell them, I think you'll have a lot of interesting feature requests coming your way. Yeah, like we had one guy and he's got multiple sensors in his home that track the energy usage. So he wants to be able to both monitor his energy usage, but also to create a machine learning model that will predict it. And then you can start thinking yep. about things like, okay, well, let's make that prediction do something in the home, like uh, you know, predict our bill next month or give us advice on how to reduce our bill. So there's lots of cool things I think people will start to do with this. And hopefully if people put their ideas on the forums, we can have a really exciting community around data science as well. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for jumping on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Phil, for the invite. All right. And in other sad home assistant news, uh, Stephen, a.k.a. Black Gold 9 who uh, was on episode 35 of the Home Assistant podcast, uh, he has moving, he's moving on from developing for the Home Assistant iOS app. So Stephen has made some great contributions to the iOS app. So thank you for your hard work, Stephen. We are going to miss you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so for those that aren't familiar, or if you didn't listen to episode 35, uh, basically the current iteration of the of the iOS app, so the version, I guess they call it 1.5, is essentially like, that was mostly led by by Stephen, and uh, Robbie's going to be doing 2.0, yeah. I believe. So, yeah. Hopefully the, uh, the iOS app continues its development. I know uh, Robbie's going to have a lot of work on his hands. Mm-hmm. All right, so we are here in doing an episode, which means there must be a new release, and that is 0.85. There is. I guess to start off, there's some new air pollutants components. So essentially the idea is how do how does how does Home Assistant report different air pollutants and things like that? So essentially it's a, it's a it's it's kind of like how the weather component works, right? So before there was, you know, the dark sky component and this and that. And then it kind of got all consolidated under the weather uh, weather component so that it's standardized. Uh, so same thing, uh, except now we're doing it with air pollutants. So uh, there's, uh, I think it's OpenSense Map that's uh, going to be the first uh, sensor to actually report data to that platform. So uh, yeah, so that should be that should be nice. So a little more standardization going on there from from an air pollutant perspective. Yeah, because I know there's a, a few there's like. Um, pollen and like a lot of health ones as well. So I wonder if they will fall under this umbrella yeah. too. We'll see in the next few releases, I guess. Yeah, I'm assuming those are those are eventually going to get rewritten to to work with this. So uh, Lutron Homeworks component has been added in this release. So Lutron made the Homeworks series four and eight systems apparently about 15 years ago. So there you go. Wow. Uh, so these components are. Now have the lights and binary sensors integrated into Home Assistant. Very cool. 
Also on, uh, on more Lutron news, uh, so if you are part of the Lutron Radio RA2 platform, switches and scenes are now added. And also another platform, the NES alarm panel, N-E-S-S, not NEST. Uh, the connectivity between Home Assistant and the alarm is uh, done through an IP232 module that you need to have connected to your alarm panel. So if you're in the Nest uh, ecosystem, uh, you can now have that integrated with Home Assistant. Here's one we don't see every day, um, the ID Tech proximity card component. So if you use prox cards for access control, so a lot of offices use proximity cards to um, let you into door, so on and so forth, based on who you are. Um, a lot of hotels use it as well uh, for your hotel room door. So uh, ID Tech uh, makes ID systems that essentially accept these proximity cards. Uh, so now that is, uh, that's now, uh, can be controlled via home assistant. So you just need a serial through ethernet converter and, uh, and there's an event fired, uh, anytime there's a card swiped. So we're talking about, uh, Dr. ZZ's, uh, just offline before we And I remember, uh, I think he's done a video on a, uh, electronic lock that he's put on his garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I watched a live stream where he wasn't being used at the moment, but this reminds me of something like this would be like a cool use case for that lock where he could, you know, have, you know, basically like you do in an office building, right? Just have a little electronic keypad, you know, home assistant sees, okay, this key card has been scanned, unlock the lock here. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's some, there's some interesting things you could do with it. So that's, uh, it's kind of cool. I'd be interested to see if uh, Home Assistant takes on more commercial applications with mm. with solutions like these. So. That's true. You know, also, sorry, I'm just yeah. thinking out loud. I, I really, this is one of my favorite editions in this release. Do you remember? Uh, I think it was John Maddox had the uh, the magic cards where you would grab a NFC card and add it to mm-hmm. play, and you would you would tap it on a Raspberry Pi, and it would then play that song on Spotify. I'm wondering, like, you could yeah. do something similar. Like, you know, if you wave, if you tap on it at a certain location in the house or, or wherever, and, or, it's a, or you pick up a certain card and it, it detects that card number, it could do an action. So there's a lot of cool automation ideas with this, with these proximity cards. Yeah, totally. There's, uh, that, that should be pretty interesting. Um, again, if, if anybody's doing any of those, uh, Anything interesting with that, shoot us a note um, at feedback at uh, haspodcast.io. And another new platform is the Pencom Relay Control Boards. So if you have a uh, control board, which I think is used for, like, uh, they have the ability for Raspberry Pis, I think. Um, Anyway, so it's basically a a very simple, uh, it allows you to turn a relay on or off, and the state of that relay can now be Mm -hmm. read in Home Assistant. Also, the Plum Light Pad light switches, as the name suggests, they're light switches uh, that are uh, Wi-Fi based that can be uh, configured now through Home Assistant. Nice. And uh, LCN, which stands for Local Control Network, uh, which is a well-known and popular home automation system in Germany uh, that is now supported in Home Assistant. Yeah, there's also the Raspi uh, RFM switch platform. There are 433 megahertz uh, RC devices that are uh, that essentially use uh, a gateway. Normally, they use um, 
they're used via Conair or ITGW433 or, or again, our Raspi RFM uh, gateways themselves. So those are now uh, those are now integrated into home system as well. And if you have an ambient uh, weather station, you can now uh, have your own weather reported via the ambient weather personal weather station component. And I'm I'm guessing that will just come in as home assistant as another uh, sensor that you can add in. Yep. And uh, here's a weirdly named one: uh, the Mythic Beasts DNS API component. Um, so essentially it's another DNS component, uh, for the service call mythic beasts. I'm guessing that's um, going to be similar to like duck DNS uh, or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I guess, I guess they, uh, similar, same kind of service where again, it takes your, your public IP and updates that to like, uh, I don't know, like Phil dot mythic dot com or org or, yeah, you know, yeah. what, what have you. Right. So yeah, this, this is actually one I haven't heard of. So that's, uh. That is that is pretty interesting. I, I love the name. Beast. Um, I yeah. would never have <laughs> guessed a DNS service, but it's uh, that is that is pretty cool. Um, also, Otto Winter has been uh, very busy over the the break. He's done some various updates to ESP Home Lib, and it looks like there's going to be soon support for uh, native support for ESP Home Lib devices in Home Assistant, and you'll be able to configure those from the user interface. The groundwork is being done in this release. I'm not sure if it will be completely ready uh, in 0.85, but definitely look out for some changes coming in 0.86. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and, and we had Otto on a while ago. Wow, it's been a while Yeah. Ago. And uh, yeah, great work, Otto. Also, the aftership package sensor. So similar to, uh, there's a couple of package tracking services yeah. that, that's integrated into Home Assistant now. So uh, this is aftership.com. Um, so apparently they support 490 couriers worldwide, uh, assumably the big ones too. Um, yeah. So, so I think the, there's a, yeah, there's a few now. And I think another one is, uh, one seven track.net, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. It's, I've, I've always been jealous. I remember when the UPS sensor came out and I was like, oh man, that's cool. Like, why can't like. Wouldn't it be cool like if I could have that here in Australia, right? But no, it's UPS. It's got to be the states. But now with these services like one seven seventeen track dot net and now AfterShip, it's cool that you know you can basically just type in any tracking number and have that information carried into Home Assistant. Yeah, and now all of a sudden uh, you can have like your lights turn red <laughs> or something when your package is delivered. Whatever, whatever that means. All right, and I guess I get draw the short straw and trying to pronounce yeah. this one, which is Brot Splarkerton. Uh, everyone from Sweden is going to be laughing at me trying to pronounce that. Uh, it is a Swedish site for tracking crimes happening all around Sweden. Uh, and the sensor ah. can be used to track a certain area, for example, where you live. So that's pretty interesting. I'm 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 not too sure uh, how it works completely. Maybe someone from Sweden can let us know. Maybe you know if there's a. I'm not sure if it does it based on trends, like you know, if there's a high crime rate in this neighbourhood, or if it's similar to maybe like a an amber alert. You know, if a child goes missing, this sensor can pick up. You know, mm-hmm. okay. A child's gone missing, send out this alert. So, yeah, check out the the docs, and if you're in Sweden, you, you might find this one interesting. Yeah, that's actually that's actually really cool. Um, again, I, I, I've said this a few times when I, I love stuff around personal safety, right? Yeah. So, um, this, is, this is great. So, 
Also, uh, we have another Italian fuel price sensor. Uh, it's the Prezi Benzina sensor. I'm, again, I'm probably butchering that as well. <laughs> so uh, I apologize if I did. But uh, now you got that in uh, Home Assistant as well. And also from Italy, the there's a new bus sensor as well, uh, the GTT sensor, so you can work out when the next bus is coming. And similarly, uh, for the Belgians, uh, there's the there's the new Belgian railway sensor as well, so the NMBS uh, service. And also, finally, wrapping up the new components for this one is an Islamic prayer time sensor. So, yeah, that's cool. It's it's, it's interesting. There's there's quite a few, uh, you know, regional specific mm. or, or cult- community specific uh, services like the Italian bus service yeah. or the Islamic prayer time service or the Italian field phrase. So that's... Uh, it's weird. Usually we'll see one every one, a couple of releases, but uh, I guess there's like four or five just released. I guess that are, that's what happens when they're just all in a row. Yeah, when you skip a release and everyone's on holiday for the, the holiday season and everyone's got a bit of spare time to help out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so with that though, there are some breaking changes. Freebox routers, for example, have been uh, moved to their own component now. Uh, so if you're using Freebox as a device tracker, uh, you essentially need to remove it from uh, from the YAML and add it as its own component. So with this also, you've got some new sensors that uh, do uh, things like monitoring your traffic usage, for example. Ah, nice. So um, yeah, so so it's been it's been split off and and moved into its own piece. Cool. And uh, probably an important one from a security uh, perspective. Auto-targeting of all entities has been deprecated as of this release. So previously, uh, you could, if you were calling a service, and you basically you would do this usually from the call services UI. If you didn't specify an entity ID, for example, if you were to call the service light.turnon or automation.turnoff, and you didn't specify an entity ID, what would happen is that Home Assistant would default to turning everything on or off. Right. So if you, yeah, so uh, that's kind of not uh, a good idea, especially as Home Assistant is starting to move into the realm of rooms and users with permissions and everything like that. So moving forward, you will need to specify uh, all, A-A-L-L, as the entity ID. If you do actually want to tell Home Assistant, yes, I really mean to turn everything on or off. Uh, For the moment, a warning message will be printed if you don't specify an entity ID. But just keep a, an eye out, you know, if you are relying on this, it might be time to update your automations. Yeah, and and it's probably for the best uh, to do that, right? Yeah. Uh, having a blank as a wild card could be potentially dangerous, depending on, you know, what's, what setup is what. So, Also, the uh, scan interval for the weather component has been updated. So it was 15 seconds. Now it's 30 seconds to align with uh, all the other sensor platforms as well. So that's just specifically for the weather component. And 17track.net, the component I just mentioned before, the entity IDs might be changing in this release. So there might be some slight updates to watch out for. Uh, Also, the climate platforms EQ3 and KNX um, have been updated. So the way their operational modes work, um, basically there have been changes so that uh, the Amazon Echo and Google Home can actually support those services as well. And Dakin uh, has been moved to the config flow in Home Assistant. So the settings for monitored conditions have also been removed. So if you're using the Dakin component for, I think it's climate, uh, just watch out for this release. 
Yeah, and one that might affect a couple more people is uh, the Wemo component. So Entity ID is now required for um, if you use the set humidity service. So if you use that, then make sure you have that, have the uh, Entity ID. And in a little noteworthy update for this release, uh, new events have been added to the timer component. So if you use timers maybe to turn lights off after motion has been detected or whatever, uh, there's now new events and they the timers are started paused or restarted and restarted is fired um, when a uh, when a timer has been paused and is now moves back into the started status so yeah that's cool for the timer component i i'm a fan of the timer component so it's always good to get new events for that yeah no that's great and another release so just a heads up we are recording this while it is beta and another, uh, I've seen a, a bit of chatter that there is a potential for entity IDs to be changing in this release if you're using special characters or Unicode characters in a name. So generally, this is for something that is not a Latin character. You might have a Chinese character in your name, and then Home Assistant generates an entity ID from that. As of this release, Home Assistant is going to try and uh, just make those a bit more standard. So you may get some some random situations where an entity ID will change moving forward in this release. Interesting. And I think I promised last time that Lovelace would be released, and we haven't forgotten. Uh, Lovelace was meant to be released in 0.85. It looks like it's now going to be pushed back to 0.86. They do want to make sure that everything is top-notch with it. It is going to be the default UI, so they're taking a bit more time, but yeah, Lovelace coming next release. But this time I won't promise. Perfect. And unless you have anything else you would like to add, Rohan, I think that is it for us. Yeah, there's been uh, quite a bit of news uh, <laughs> that's, been, <laughs> that's happened in the last uh, couple of weeks, so uh, I, think, I think we should be good for now. We'll see everyone next time. Cheers. Cheers. Special thanks to this week's guest, Robin Cole. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest yourself, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Kiriman. For links to the topics discussed this week, check out the show notes at haspodcast.io. 